0: Iowa everywhere. All right, boys, it's game day. Let's
1: go. Let's go. Big game. Got a big game today. My package has arrived. Oh, sweet. Nice. School! Great win, fellas. What game's next? G-men are having a great year. Let's go blue. Here we go. Primetime football. Texans, Dolphins. Let's do this. Yes. Review.
0: Yes. Yes. Heartland flags. Every sport. Every team. Every flag.
1: Every team? That's right. Fine, fine. I'll get a Washington
0: flag, too. Find your flag and so much more with fast, free shipping. Heartlandflags.com. Every sport, every team, every flag. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Doctorman and Chad Lystico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere.
1: Hey Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere, welcome into the Channel Seed Studios for episode 13 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. My name is Chad Leistico. I cover the Iowa Hawkeyes as a columnist for the DeWayne Register, and I am joined as always by the esteemed Scott Docterman of The Athletic, recently named co-winner of the Football Writers Association of america beat writer of the year the only crime there scott is that you had to share the award but uh public congrats on that honor and and thank you for solidifying the legends part of legends and listeners <laughs> in the podcast
0: well uh thank you so much for the kind words chad and certainly you are every bit as worthy as i am of that honor and uh and i'm, I'm thrilled to share it with angelique chingales from the detroit news she's uh she's fantastic the first female winner and totally deserves it as well. I feel like uh, anyone who
1: covers has covered Iowa and Michigan uh, this off season and season deserves <laughs> a writer of the year award the uh, the way you guys do it. So, uh, well, anyways, Scott, a mostly drama free week in Iowa football. That is until Wednesday afternoon when the NCAA deemed in its ultimate wisdom that student athletes who bet on their own school would have a one season loss of eligibility. When only a few, few weeks earlier, Scott, it was advertised that a first offense would likely be retroactively reduced to gambling education and no eligibility loss. Therefore, Noah Shannon, done as a Hawkeye. What do you make of it?
0: Well, I, I think what I'm. I'm most disturbed about is what was said a month ago and then how it became adju- adjudicated this, you know, this week. And that is, it was whether it, it was announced, the NCAA announced that that the penalties were going to be largely education and all the, the issues would have been retroactive. And for them to put young people, the people they're supposed to represent Through an emotional meat grinder the last month. And then, Oh, by the way, no, you're not going to be eligible. And for somebody like, you know, even more so to me with uh, Noah Shannon than Deshaun Hanneke or the, or, you know, that you, he has no more time. This is it. And he's spent three quarters of a season and then, Oh, by the way, you got to go back to practice. So it makes it look like it's going to happen. And then to to do this way, I think is really a, a gross miscarriage of justice on this. And that was my biggest thing too is just why why tease why
1: dangle that and then why change it and i'm sure uh there wasn't much explanation given uh that's usually how these these things work but like what changed you know like what did i don't know who knows you know whether it's uh i don't know some some voice obviously got to committee members or something and changed because to go from nothing basically to You're out for the season, which, yes, they advertised yesterday as a reduction because it used to be permanent eligibility, but out for one season. So it is a reduction. But, you know, why not make it half a season or something? I mean, especially for for, because you know the cases you're dealing with right now. Um, You know, an athlete that bet a couple bucks on an Iowa women's game, and that's it. So um, uh, really, really feel bad for, for Noah Shannon. And actually, Scott, a harsher eligibility penalty is dealt here to Iowa Wrestling, which has four wrestlers, senior wrestlers, suspended for the year, uh, presumably their careers as well. Uh, there's a possibility that one of them could get a medical, but uh, Kobe Seabricht, Nelson Brands, Abasad, and four-time All-America heavyweight Tony Cassiope on that list. Terry Brands sent me a text confirming those names last night and did say that two of them still had appeals remaining. But, uh, you know, he's Nelson's father, Iowa associate head coach, and he is, he is not happy about this results, reversal from the NCAA either. It just seems, again, it just seems kind of punitive and, and unnecessary at this point.
0: It's, it's what Beth Getz said a couple of weeks ago that she felt that, and the committee had felt that this was, the, the terms were unduly harsh, and I think that's a really a fair characterization of this. And, and so for them to revisit it and to discuss it, and to do it midstream while they'd already suspended, you know, and specifically Noah Shannon for the season, and then get their hopes up to allow them to return to practice. The wrestlers, too. Uh, Deshaun Haneke at Iowa State. And then um, what, what had transpired, I do know, is that in the, the meantime, leading up to the, to the meeting two weeks ago, that there were some people who didn't think they were like, whoa, this is a little bit too much, you know, that, that we're allowing basically, you know, going from permanent ban to nothing is something that they wanted to revisit. They had they had been reached. Several people reached out, and thought that there needed to be more. And then they ultimately went with this conclusion. But again, it's not to me that. The one-year suspension is necessarily wrong. What's wrong is the the approach starting a month ago, where they announced that those would be the guidelines, which allowed everybody to get back and get their hopes up, and then ultimately pull you know pull the rug out of their feet, and and now they're they're completely done. You know, I mean Noah Shannon, uh, you know the the other wrestlers are their their careers are over, and that's uh, you know again to use Beth Getz's words, unduly harsh.
1: Yeah, at this point, you might as well have not gotten their hopes up and just if they said this after the season, like, hey, after all this, we're going to reduce it to one year. I mean, at least you kind of understand. But, yeah, the uh, just the procedure here is ridiculous. And then I understand, you know, I realize we and I were the only ones dealing with this. But, you know, and I understand, like, people here and I were like, you know, wondering like, oh, well, you know, Michigan's still playing games and they're on, you know, in football games and they're under investigation. So, you know, why not? Why not our guys? And um, so it's it is a it's been a frustrating year for uh, Kirk Ferentz. And we're going to get to some <laughs> in particular between the gambling, his son situation, uh, all that stuff. But uh, Scott, I, I don't know if you're as excited as I am about the two and seven pairs against the, the one and seven Panthers tonight but uh, i've got my bears flag ready and as always i want to remind folks that legends and listeners is brought to you by heartland flags and gifts offers free shipping anywhere in the u.s and always has fresh products nearly every team every sport and every flag uh visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in store at 3719 southwest 9th street in des moines we really appreciate their sponsorship and yes i checked scott they have rutgers flags too uh, before we get into my next question, like, so are you going to watch the women's game tonight and, and record the Bears game? Are you going to try to watch them simultaneously? How do, uh, I have my own system, but how do you how do you operate when there's a Bears game and a Hawkeye game at the same time?
0: This is going to be a challenge, Chad. Um, I, <laughs> uh, You know, especially in light of who they're playing, that really matters. You know, Virginia Tech is uh, you know, final 14 from last year, that's going to be a tough choice. Um, my wife has already claimed the TV and I, I guess at this point that means (laughs) that one of the two TVs. So I'm, I'm either going to have to go downstairs, try to watch it on my phone or uh, watch Iowa basketball and then move over and do the bears. I guess I could do the bears. Um, you know, since it's on prime, I can always start it from the beginning, you know, and then Mm -hmm. catch up. But, I don't know yet. I guess we'll yeah. see what happens. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm uh, I'm one of those people that meticulously will avoid spoilers at all costs. Uh, I know I've I've texted you before, "Hey, no spoilers tonight. Yeah. I'm watching on delay or whatever." Cuz even like the smallest text like,
0: yeah.
1: "Oh, how about those bears or?" Oh, smh, bears or something, you know what I mean? Like it just yeah. even if even if I know they're going to lose, that ruins it for me. I just want to experience the tape delayed. Thing as a fan or whatever and i don't get to be a fan uh except in pro sports so um anyway uh just kind of interest i'm gonna, so i'm gonna watch the women's game record the bears and try to avoid spoilers at all costs and then i can fast forward through you know if it gets bad i can just fast forward to the right <laughs> so that's the only benefit there about being a bears fan you can just fast forward to the end of the, of the end of the loss uh anyway Scott, really intriguing matchup Saturday for the Hawkeyes taking on a really solid six and three Rutgers team. Uh, you know, Iowa obviously seven and two. Uh, as Jay Hagan said, people forget that, uh, but this Rutgers team has gone toe to toe with some good teams, including being ahead of number one Ohio State nine to seven in the third quarter last week. I feel like every time I've turned Rutgers on, I've been impressed. What are your general thoughts on this matchup before we get to our main topic today? <sighs>
0: yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I think this is what this is why Rutgers hired Greg Schiano. I mean, when you look at where they were, they were in the the cemetery of co- college football. Um, they were, uh, I want to say in a three year period, they they've been outscored on the neighborhood of like 49 to four or 43 to four in their big ten games in a three year period. Um, it was non-competitive. And, you know, even this summer, uh, you know, a colleague of mine, Stuart Mandel, and I wrote about Rutgers being the worst addition in, in, in realignment. And the headline was not quite as a, it was a little more stark than the, than the text. But still, anyway, um, I do feel like that Greg Schiano, now in year four, he's built it the right way. He's decided to build it developmentally. He's actually followed a model that's really comparable to Iowa and that is he's gotten a lot of local guys. he's got he's built it up they were competitive they went to a bowl game two years ago when a team backed out and uh, last year they were you know they fought but they weren't good. this year they've been able to win a lot of those close games and really the only difference between them being six and three and being even better than that are some really killer, Mistakes on offense against Wisconsin, Michigan, and Ohio State. Otherwise, it would be even closer. And I think this team is probably a quarterback away from being a legitimate top four team in the Big Ten this year for sure.
1: I, I mean, I think they might win the West if they were in the West. Yeah. I think they're that good. Um, Kyle Manunga is a really good running back and I know you know Gavin Wimsad his completion percentage is barely above Deacon Hills uh, but he can run he's got uh, he's accounted for 15 touchdowns this year seven on the ground 400 plus yards on the ground he's got speed man he and these guys uh, these guys just remind you of like an Iowa team they're gonna play hard on defense they're gonna play physical they don't make mistakes they get they look for advantages on special teams so uh, we're going to we might get to our predictions here a little bit later, but I, it's it's a matchup that concerns me for the Hawkeyes quite a bit uh, just because we've seen the dysfunction uh, on offense. And that leads us into our our main point. We want to give us give ourselves a little time to breathe here, Scott, uh, but before we do. I just want to uh, alert folks that those of you who are able to drink responsibly may find our next sponsor read and topic go hand in hand or bourbon in hand, if you will, because legends and listeners is happy to welcome Steeple Ridge bourbon as a supporter of our growing show from farm to bottle. Steeple Ridge bourbon offers a high quality, delicious drinking bourbon if you don't find Steeple Ridge at your favorite retailer or grocery store, ask for it by name. Steeple Ridge is distilled, aged, and bottled in Iowa by Lonely Oak Distillery. So if for those of you that got your bourbons, ready to talk about the Iowa offense, <laughs> let's do it, Scott, uh, because our main topic today has to do with short-term and long-term fixes to this Iowa offense. I don't know if this sounds like a broken record to people, but you know, after watching the 10-7 win against Northwestern and seeing some of these other Big Ten West teams lose, Scott, there's a real, real path here uh, to the Big Ten title game. Uh, we will get to Cooper DeGene and a new backup quarterback potentially as this goes on, but Scott, after gaining just 169 yards against the cats at Wrigley field and that 10 seven win in your mind, what can the offense do to help guide this imperfect Hawkeye train to Lucas oil stadium on December 2nd?
0: Well, you got to look at it in two different veins. What would I do? versus what do you think Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz? Are well, doing? I'm asking what you would do first. Oh, what I would do. I would number three is going on the <laughs> offensive side of the ball and he's going to take snaps on pretty much every play. Um, you know, now I wouldn't put him on I would take him away from the defense and I understand that this is a really good defense and this is one of the and that's really important but you've got to get you've got to score some points because one play, you know, one long man run this week could get you beat, you know, one bad pass that goes the other way could get you beat or a sack, you know, it happened happen against Minnesota. Um, and so I, I think you've got to generate something offensively. You just stop playing with two defenses and a special teams unit, and that's kind of the way they're operating now. So I would I would put Cooper DeGene back. I would make him kind of a full time wildcat quarterback, and I think with that, let him throw the ball. That's you know radical. That especially for for Iowa, that is so radical. and just doesn't going to happen. But that's the way to me. I think you can score. Two touchdowns and two field goals a game. You know, that's still below the drive for 325, way below it. But at this point, that's the way to generate some offense and some misdirection and get your best player with the ball in his hands the most often.
1: I'm glad you went there right away. I was, I was figuring, yeah, we'd kind of meander into Cooper a little bit, but it, it is, it is that type of thing of like, what's the downside? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you get yeah. the question back of what would be the upside. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> the upside would be, uh, first of all, presumably, uh, you'd limit turnovers. You're not going to be throwing the ball up for grabs, you know, 28 times or whatever like they did against Minnesota. Uh, you'd think we saw the two plays he was on the field, you know, two rushing plays for 14 yards. I mean, that was almost 10% of their total yards against Northwestern. Uh, um, which is I mean, it was actually until the last drive. But yeah. anyway, uh, so it's pretty sad to think about. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I was going to say like I thought I was going to be radical and say like 30 snaps. I but I think so I think I'm going to say 30 snaps just cuz I know it's unrealistic that they'll do the whole thing. And I, it's probably unrealistic. They'll even do 10 snaps, but I want to say, I was going to say 30 or, you know, potentially early downs, potentially third and shorts, potentially red zone. Um, You know, those are all situational things that you can do. You know, it's, we're watching Taysom Hill against the bears the other day was just another reminder. Like, Hey, here's a creative, you know, a creative way to use a guy that's a weapon uh, in the run game. He threw one pass. He was one for one, three yards for a touchdown. That's kind of what we're talking about, right? I right. mean, it's not. uh And he's done it before. He's mm-hmm. done it before. I realize it's I think he can take a he's pretty athletic. He can take a snap and hand it off.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going to wet his pants and drop the ball. You know, I mean, he, <laughs> he, he's a pretty good player. You know, uh, he proved that. And I mean, I really encourage people to see the last sequence of his high school career in that state championship game where he did everything. And, you know, ten, they were like out of 10 straight plays, nine of them were impact, you know, like blocking a kick and and returning a punt and, and scoring and, and doing all these different things that he did. Um, and I think he's capable of doing some of those same things at this level. And that that to me is you know, you don't have to be so regimented and we're seeing it on offense that you can't afford it because, you know, you know, they're, they're college kids. We don't want to get into this too much, but I was getting even last week with Deacon Hill's best game at 10 of 15, but, you know, going to that last drive, Chad, he had, he was eight of 13 for 34 yards. I mean, for a whole game. And then he had a 23 yard pass and that was a 40% or roughly of the, of the total of just one completion. I mean, it's just, you know, you've got to do something here to to engineer victory, not just prevent defeat. And that's kind of where we are with this Iowa offense. And, and that's why I think that's what I would do. And if it, you know, I, I don't see it happening because it's just not anything Iowa does. I realize that uh, people prior
1: listening to this are like, you're wasting your breath. It's not going to happen. <laughs> wow. you, just, you just spent eight minutes talking about something that will never happen. But one last point on this is just like, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz's defense on this the other day was like, we've got a good thing going on defense. So how would you respond to that thought? I guess, uh, you know, Deshaun Lee is healthy now. Yeah. And as you pointed out, actually, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but you point, i am going to give you credit for this—you pointed out to me in, on Tuesday, like if you're going to do it, this is the game because they don't throw the ball that well anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. They complete—they complete forty-nine point eight percent. I think these are two of the worst three, the bottom three in the country. Yeah, they are. So, yeah. so, so, why not take? You know, do you, you want them on an island? They're not going to throw in his direction. Maybe you'll get one tackle. You'll get a couple punt returns, but. You know, if you're going to do it, put somebody else back there so you can have he can have impact on this game, and and I get that Kirk is nervous when you see your two best offensive players out for the season and your quarterback. That man, we can't afford to lose Cooper to Gene too because he's, you know, gives you a spark in the return game. I understand that, and but at the same time, man, you just you need something, and this is a dangerous game. So is Illinois, and so is Nebraska, and whatever comes after that, but. Man, um if if you get him, I mean, he might be able to, to average six yards of carry. If he runs the ball 10 times, six yards of carry. And then he opens up the other running back too, a LaShawn Williams, a Jazz Patterson, maybe Caleb Johnson too. Um, and so I think right now, just do whatever you can. Squeeze the last drops out of the ketchup bottle.
1: I totally agree. Plus it'd be fun. Yeah. It would be, uh, what do you got to lose? Like, and as I've written this week, like I were, this isn't a must win. Like this is a chance to try some stuff. You can lose this game as long as Minnesota loses next week to Ohio state, which I think they will. (laughs) As long as that happens, you still control your, your destiny. Uh, to get because you just got to beat Nebraska head to head at that point, and then you'd end up at a at best at worst whatever, well not uh, either tied with Wisconsin or Nebraska at six and three mm-hmm. as long as you win the, the next two. So it's not anyway. So let let's get let's transition into what you think they will do or can do if they don't do that. I still want to see a as many DeGene snaps as possible, obviously. But uh, what can they do with Deacon Hill at quarterback with Hey, potentially discovering Caleb Brown, uh, you know, LeSean Williams running hard, uh, Addison Ostrenga emerging a little bit. He's showing some signs that he can, you know, maybe look like freshman Sam Laporta out there. Is that a stretch? I mean, not quite to that level, but he's something, you know, he's an intriguing piece out there. Um, It's something. What do you what do you see as possible with, with what they've got?
0: I think one thing you've got to do is jet sweep to death. I mean, I think you mm. just have to continuously yeah. do that. It's been one area where, no, whether they hand it off or not, it it forces the second level to react. And and I think, you know, and this is where I think they have underutilized Caleb Brown is that, you know, I don't know if he's as fast as Cooper DeGene, but I think he can, you know, he's played that running back position. This is like a wing back in the old school. And this is an opportunity to get him the ball, and, you know, and let him make a play or two. But not only that, that that allows um, the second level, again, to have eyes in the backfield, maybe be a little bit um, hesitant. And it allows, if you don't hand the ball off, LaShawn Williams to really exploit that. So I, I think that's where the running game can be if you use it a lot. Um, the second part of it is uh, I do like Addison Estrenga a lot. Uh, You know, I think he's an ascending player. I think he's going to be a player that, uh, you know, like Laporta. And I think he's probably somewhere between freshman and sophomore Laporta as a a sophomore Ostranga. So I think he's still a pretty good player. got a lot, you know, would still be the number three tight end here. But and then the other part is um, you've got to find ways to. Um, use your receivers and give them opportunities to catch the ball. But, but Deacon Hill's got to be careful with it. Uh, one, the play I did not like at all, I think, from both the play call and the, and the execution was the interception and it wasn't just because it was intercepted but it's because you had 13 personnel you had three tight ends in there you asked your receiver who's your shortest receiver to run in motion across the across the grain you know 30 to 40 yards then cut up and run another 20 yards on a defender um most people are tired, a little bit tired at that point, because you're asking them to run across horizontally and then take off vertically. You've got to slow down to do that. And then you allow your defender to get in position. And then Deacon didn't give him a good chance to catch the ball. He threw the ball inside when he was had outside leverage. So it was a bad execution, but I think it was a bad play call. So I think they've got to make sure offensively to be able to get those uh, – make sure that the, if you're going to throw a route like that to a receiver – that you put them in the best opportunity to at least get them make it a 50 50 ball
1: love all those things you're talking about there um what about marco Linez? uh <laughs> could that be an option here uh you know a guy with mobility a true freshman he took the number two reps in warm-ups uh still not acknowledged by the head coach or the depth chart that he is number two but he is number two he's number two right now uh, he's with the second team offense And this is a kid from New Jersey um, grew up, played football 20 miles south of Rutgers campus uh, has not played a game. uh, Theoretically could play four games and save a year of eligibility. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if he's ready to come in if need be. And will Kirk, if Kirk Ferentz would put him in now they're going with Deacon Hill to start, but I'm not going to dis. I'm really not ruling out the fact that we might see Marco on Saturday.
0: I'm not. I. I mean, yes, I. I would play him. I, I mean, we've seen enough Deacon Hill, and we. He made one great pass the other day. He made a couple others that were nice. That's it. And that's. It's really when you're, you know, completing forty five percent. it's just. It's. It's such a. A bad number that you're not going to win a lot of really good games. So I would, yeah, I would put him in for sure. And I think he brings a lot to the table. Um, and, and what have you got to lose when you've got, you know, Marco, uh, or, I mean, you know, Deacon, you know, he had an interception, he had another inexplicable, um, just horrific pass that he was lucky it wasn't intercepted and he had a strip sack and, you know, he, you know, he's was just lucky that it didn't get, you know, it wasn't recovered. And so, to me, what have you got to lose? What's the upside? The upside is you might get better quarterback play. I think with and he can run. Yeah, he's a dual threat. Right. You
1: need that right now. You need something out of that position. If he can yeah. run, that's why we're talking about. Cooper, mm-hmm. somewhat. I mean, uh, you know, could he scramble for 30, 40 yards? Yeah, probably. Probably in a game. Well, I
0: don't that, know how
1: well he knows the offense, but I he's a he's a well schooled quarterback.
0: Right. I mean, he's, he's been with a guy that they trust that they Mm -hmm. trusted with their quarterback for several years. Um, You know, they, they went out and got him early, you know, they decided against the local guy, JJ Cole, and they went out and got Marco Lanez. He's been working scout team all year. They bumped him up. You know, now he's number two. It makes sense to me that if you're going to do it, do it because I don't, you realistically give even Iowa a puncher's chance in Indianapolis right. based on the offense now. No, you just can't. You can't even see or say, if they do this, this could happen. You just don't see it at all. And that's, that's, what's frustrating I think for most fans when they talk about Indianapolis, that it's like, you just don't see the, the miracle that's <laughs> not there. So mm-hmm. now, and I'm not suggesting it will be there with him either, but right some, at some point you just got to say, you know what? And, and, and looking at the other side, Chad next year, you're you know with Cade McNamara's back but you're going to need him for the spring to take all those reps and it puts him ahead and and Cade McNamara has been injured almost every year Mm you know and and you know if Marco Lanez is better next year play him so Mm -hmm. I, I think this is a play on not only 2023 but
1: 2024 and beyond definitely and uh I I was going to echo that exact point, so I'll just say say it in a little different way. Here is yeah, if you right now, I don't think there's really any way you can compete in Indy if you get there with with what you've got at quarterback right now. I mean, uh, you can talk about all you want. Well, you know, how much confidence did he get off that twenty three yard pass to Caleb Brown? Yeah, it was an awesome throw, but, but that's what Kirk Ferentz is kind of talking about post game. You know, hopefully that gives him some confidence. Well, <laughs> I mean, you kind of need a little more than that. Um, to try to have a chance and that that's kind of the, I think that's probably their best hope to be competitive is if, you know, you can put a guy in that gives you a spark. We've seen it happen before. Um, We've seen it happen with Drew Tate, CJ Beathard, guys that are young. Mm -hmm. Um, Nate Stanley, maybe a better example, guys that that are young and capable. Um, And, you know, Nate Stanley came in against North Dakota state in 2016 for a little bit and he looked fine, you know, filling in for CJ Beathard and, and, you know, have to thank uh, Marco, you know, being coached by Tony Rassiopias, who also coached Tyson Bajant, by the way, yeah. uh, which is which is pretty awesome. Um, is, uh, you know, yeah, I feel confident that he wouldn't, as you said, whatever you said about Cooper earlier about yeah. <laughs> wetting his pants, I don't think he'll do that. So um, yeah. the, do you want to get into, uh, you wrote a good piece in The Athletic uh, about, you want to get into this at all? Five, yeah. five, five potential early candidates as the next offensive coordinator for iowa football i, I encourage people to, to check out scott's work at the athletic on this i don't know if you want to get into all five but one. and we talked a lot about paul chris last week i yeah. don't think it's a spoiler that he's on the yeah. list but is there anyone else on that list that you'd like to to maybe highlight here in our discussion
0: yeah and i, I would say that you know, probably three are worth discussing, um, two, are kind of, you know, you just throw guys on the list in some ways and see what happens, but, um, you know, okay, let's, let's make the case for and against, um, John Budmeyer. Okay. He's already on staff. He understands the personnel. He knows how Kirk Ferentz operates. He's been here two years. He has not called the plays. Um, so I guess I'll start with making a case for him being discussed. And that is he has tried to help. He cannot officially be a coach. He's an analyst. That doesn't mean, you know, he may be part of game design and play design and, and things like that, but he cannot be hands-on officially, or it's a violation. Um, he may see things differently than Brian and he might be able to, to fix them. And he's a quarterback by trade. He was a quarterback coach before he arrived, both at Wisconsin and Colorado State. Uh, so if you inserted him for Brian Ferentz, it immediately you, you don't have any concerns about how he has to get used to everything because he already knows everything. So that would be one guy. What say you, yay or nay? Because I have a lot of nay, too, to that. If I want to yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem I
1: would have with that, obviously, is that he's—it's not like he's in his first year. This is his second year with the team, and he, he does seem like a really sharp guy. I—I uh, I believe uh, Spencer Petrus when he's talked about him before, just uh, how smart he is. Um, I've had another uh, father of a of a recruit say he was blown away by John Budmeyer on a on a visit. And, um, you know, he can they can he can recruit. So that's not a violation. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it'd still be a tough sell at this point. But I guess the problem I would have with how things are being handled and I realize Kirk Ferentz is not going to do this because it's his son. But it would be nice to see him take over like now ish to kind of audition for that and say, hey, we saw some progress here in these last four or five games you know enough to give him that vote of confidence for the spring and we know Cade McNamara as a fan of his we know Deacon Hill is as well as because he recruited him. And uh, so anyway, like you I understand the continuity aspect, but I just would like to see him maybe if he is going to be heavily considered to get an audition here, you know, of calling the plays as you say. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I think this is where the the nay kind of comes in. You know what? Yes, he wouldn't get an audition because Brian Ferencz is there. That's we know that one. But I think that the other part and is that okay? He had a hand in bringing in Cade McNamara and Deacon Hill. Cade, we I don't feel like we got enough of because he was dinged up, hurt uh, in the preseason. You know, he was hurt coming into Iowa. Then he got his quad injury. Then he got his ACL, and so we never really got to see. A full Cade McNamara to know whether he is, um, you know, good or serviceable or or what, but you know he was also offered Deacon Hill first, and that's that's probably a demerit, (laughs) you know, in a lot of ways. Um, Now Deacon's a great young man, but you know the 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 production is the production, so I I don't know, you know, and I think again, Kirk's never really worried about selling you know he's just worried about doing what he does but it would be a really tough moment for Iowa fans not it would be almost as tough as Brian taking over as quarterbacks coach two years ago that if all of a sudden he said yeah John Budmeier stepping in and he's going to be the OC and he's going to be the quarterbacks coach because I think fans would be like it's just going to be the same as it always was and that's probably the worst case scenario for Iowa right now
1: Yeah, you you put it real well. You put the downside there real well. But it does seem like, you know, they're paying him $325,000 a year. So, obviously, they value him quite a lot. Um, So, I don't think it's – it's certainly a viable, uh, conceivable selection from Kirk Ferentz. If you don't mind, I'd like to bring up one more name on your list, Uh, Tim Polisek. He's the offensive Um, coordinator at Wyoming. I do think this is a realistic uh, move for Kirk Ferentz. maybe I'll start with the with the plus side here, and you can kind of counter. Um, this is a guy that is really highly valued by some of these veterans in the offensive line room. Uh, they really liked him as offensive line coach. Uh, I realize you know it's a kind of a he who should not be named situation, but he does kind of have some personality traits of Chris Doyle that I imagine that. Kirk Ferentz wouldn't mind bringing back into the program, um, you know, a little bit more toughness, a little bit more, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hesitate to bring that up, but still, I think there is, there was the offensive line was different under Tim Polis. I can't (laughs) deny that he was a good offensive coordinator at North Dakota state. Uh, That said uh, Wyoming's offense is 123rd in the country. Now they're playing pretty well. And I realized that yardage is not the be all end all. But um, that also would be a, a difficult sell for fans. But again, if you're thinking about it from Ferentz's perspective, this guy brings continuity. And I think people forget, even though he was the old line coach here, Tim Polisik was a record setting quarterback himself.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is what was their relationship like when he was here and how did it end? Uh, was it amicable? Was it, hey, good good luck to you. We'll call you in the future, or was it, uh, we got to get rid of this guy, or yeah, good luck, and well, maybe we'll see you down the road. And and that's really, and, and it's been a little bit muddled, you know. I've heard some whispers one way or the other about that, uh, but I think when you look at what he has done and what he accomplished and how he can accomplish things. Um, you look at uh, you know North Dakota State. He brought the game plan to beat Iowa, and he did it. And Iowa was a good team. You know they're coming off the um, you know the Rose Bowl year, and he, they won in the last play of the game. He's an OC at um, Wyoming. He's coached offensive line at Iowa, so you know how Iowa works. He's coached uh, quarterbacks. He's coached passing game, running backs. So he has a real good grasp on the entire on the entire offensive you know spectrum there and i think that would be really helpful for for him there um but as you said and you know, wyoming is struggling uh on offense and you're kind of selling more uh, you know of the same in some ways just by oh well if you're that bad at wyoming what what about here the one the one counter i guess if there is one when it comes to offensive line here is that how much of him was developing Linderbaum, Worfs and Jackson versus them being the guys that developed because sure. they, because if they had Alrick Jackson now, would George Barnett mm. be able to develop him the same as, as, uh, as, Polisek did. So, you know, that though, and, and how did he recruit while he was here? You know, mm. I mean, some of the, some of the players panned out, some did not. So, you know, but he is yeah. thought of as a highly recruiter. So he's one that I'm really fascinated with. David Ray is one that I think, I, I don't know, I I'm, i wouldn't be surprised ends up in the program somehow. Mm. You know, he's a quarterback from 99-02. He was a GA for a couple of years at Iowa, worked with the O-line, worked with the tight ends. He's been in the NFL. He was the receivers coach at both. Green Bay and, and, uh, Arizona. He had a one bad year at Vanderbilt as an offensive coordinator, but a lot of people have bad years at Vanderbilt. Um, so I'm not going to quite blame him for that. He's now an analyst with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, so he knows what Iowa is all about. He's been with Iowa as a player and as a grad assistant, he's been around. So he understands different things. And, you know, and then again, it's hard to go from Vanderbilt, you know, in the sec where it, it's, You get eaten alive pretty quickly. Iowa's a different animal. So I would like to see him get discussed as well. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on him.
1: Yeah, I don't have strong thoughts on him, but I guess I would just say uh, with him or with Paul Christ, I think of all that, everyone on that list, my personal preference would be Paul Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, These are also guys you could sign, you know, Mm -hmm. December – third you know after yeah, the big right. the championship game if you wanted to and get them in, integrated into the program you know as long as that's not going to ruffle any you know bowl game prep for mm-hmm. brian or whatever but 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 really i mean that's i think that's an advantage you don't have to wait you can start recruiting you can yeah. you know you can gain some momentum towards signing day so i'm not saying that that's a, a number one reason to do that but i i don't think it's a negative so um appreciate that uh, check out Scotts story at the athletic uh, there's one more name on there um,
0: there'll be more
1: yeah Ladelbats. Yeah. um you know again a mystery to me we just don't have we haven't had enough experience with him to know what he would be like as OC but uh, again intriguing um, certainly he would bring a lot to the table and I like what he's done what he mm-hmm. has done so far with recruiting and also with running backs so yeah. um, couple more things scott uh uh, what i'm working on type of deal uh i'm pretty excited about this piece uh it'll be on hawkcentral.com tomorrow morning i kind of i don't know if you noticed but i asked kirk about moneyball uh Mm -hmm. the movie because i figured as a baseball guy he's probably familiar with that concept and so i kind of i kind of took a moneyball angle to iowa football and kind of dug into super duper hidden yardage um in how Iowa gains field position and um, I'll just pluck one thing out here and then let you guys read it tomorrow. But Iowa is averaging plus 90 yards per game when it comes to punting yards, punt return yards and penalty yards plus 90. So that they are really doing a good job making up that differential uh, in other ways that you don't see in that total offense. So um, I don't know. I kind of had fun writing it. It was fun to watch. I love – I read the Moneyball book. I read – you know, watched the movie. So I'm kind of enthused about that. And uh, Kirk Ferentz kind of, you know, pissed on it a little bit by saying, nah, Tony La Russa doesn't believe in it. But <laughs> I, st- I still think it's it's valid, uh, you know, the way Iowa looks at winning games kind of like the 2002 Oakland A's did. So.
0: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I, I actually wrote a story about it um, back in early two thousands when I was covering the Royals. So about Moneyball? About, oh, about wow. Moneyball. Yeah. Nice. So uh, dollars and cents is what I called it. It was one an enterprise package. S E N S E. So I'm very much looking forward to that because I think <laughs> in football it does matter quite a bit. Um, as you said, I, I remember talking, you know, in Morehouse especially, but you know, a few years ago about um, the value of a punter for Iowa. Yeah. That it's one first down per possession if it's a good one. You know, if, if you're – and this is when, you know, Colton Rastetter was holding down the, the chart. But, you know, if you're getting 37 yards a punt versus Tory Taylor, 48 or 49 – one more first down the opponent has to get against your defense per possession that really, really, really matters. And then, as you said, with the return game, we haven't seen any kind of explosiveness on the kick side, like with Amir Smith-Marset or, mm-hmm. or with Charlie Jones. But when you have Cooper DeGene back, mm-hmm. you know, who's who's a lot like Charlie Jones, I think in this regard, yes. that he he's a daredevil. He's not afraid to catch it. And then all of a sudden spin and run and all of a sudden it's eight yards. You know, like you did that against Northwestern, and that matters because rather than fair catching it or letting it go, which I remember one game. Two thousand seventeen. Josh Jackson. Yeah. Like, come you know, on. Man. Is like, <laughs> that was the only thing bad he did that year. Yeah, I know. But yeah. uh, so that sounds really interesting. I'm, I'm
1: looking forward to reading it. I appreciate it. Well, Iowa is favored by one point at circusports.com with a crazy over/under is now down to twenty-eight. Circus sports is the exclusive sports betting app of Iowa, everywhere. Circus sports is sports betting the way it should be with the highest limits, lowest holds, and best odds. Download the app today at the app store or at circusports.com. Another huge game this weekend. Oh, by the way, I have records winning 17-13. I hate to say. What do you got, Scott? I got Iowa winning eleven to ten.
0: <laughs> so uh, a push, a push on the minus one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a, that's a tough game. I, I think it could go either way, obviously. And I think, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I have them three field goals and a safety. <laughs> that would be pretty epic, actually. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> winning on uh, a field goal not the safety though okay yeah that'd be pretty
1: awesome actually yeah. a walk-off
0: safety i wonder if that's yeah.
1: ever happened to walk-off safety a in
0: win. the nfl it has it has wow yeah it happened oh, twice yeah that's unbelievable in, in overtime yeah in
1: overtime i guess i could see yeah. it in overtime yeah, yeah. okay i'm oh, in college
0: though not in college <laughs> no i think it's only happened once now that i think about it in the nfl and then in the nfl one time there was a team losing by a point that won by a point and it was like in the 80s and it was uh the Dallas Cowboys. I think it was like Randy White sacked. It might have been Ken Stabler when he was with the Saints and in the end zone, and they won. But it wasn't like a couple last couple of minutes. It was like midway through the fourth quarter. But still, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> well, I enough. still
1: think I still think Iowa should have taken a safety the other day. Uh, at, least, at least considered it, but not when they get out the eight yard line. I get that. But if they were on, they were punting from their own one, I might have taken a safety and gone seven to two with a few minutes left. Anyway, um, another huge game this weekend, Scott, uh, circa is showing Michigan minus four and a half at Penn state. Uh, any thoughts on that game before we close out?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, this is going to be, I think I like Penn state a lot with that line. I'm not, you know, I think it could go either way. The one difference when you see Penn state at home versus on the road is how drew Aller. um, performs he completes 71 percent at home and about 52 percent on the road granted he's going against his be- the best team that he's faced all year at home um, in Michigan but you know that's a different environment we were there we know what it's like um, they've got a great defense Michigan hasn't played anybody like Penn State yet and not even close so I think this is going to be a really tough grinding game that's probably going to be a field goal game one way or the other and that's why I, I like Penn State with that line
1: yeah, I, I picked Michigan to cover, but I think maybe – I don't know. I don't feel great about it I, just because, yeah, we've been there. Uh, you know, Penn State crowd is, is tough. Uh, that You know, Penn State's defense is everybody as good as Michigan's. Uh, mm-hmm. They're 1-2 in the country in defense, but they're mm-hmm. also 5-6 in the nation in scoring offense. So it's, it's really a fascinating battle. And I guess the, the point here is if Penn State were to win – and then Michigan were to beat Ohio State, it would create a really interesting scenario in tiebreakers that would revolve around potentially Iowa and the mm-hmm. Big Ten West. <laughs> exactly. Wouldn't that be something? If if uh, the Hawkeyes winning the West would spoil everything for Michigan and Ohio State, and, and allow Penn State to get into the title game. Is this the
0: is, is this coaching matchup the most the least liked? Um, coaches <laughs> in the Big Ten, you know. Uh, may yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it could it's be pretty yeah. strong, but
1: yeah, but yeah,
0: yeah, I I think uh, yeah, I mean that would be really fascinating to see if Penn State would win the the East based off of beating Iowa, you know, versus Minnesota, you know, which would have been for for Michigan, uh, you know, it, it, it is i mean that, that's this crazy league and we're gonna have some crazy scenarios in the future when yeah. this goes to 18 teams because i can imagine there's going to be a lot of little you know one team might be nine and oh and then there's gonna be two teams eight and one or or three teams that are seven right. and two trying to figure out who's the next team and yeah. uh, so the tiebreaker process yeah so it, what it they basically
1: take the 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 combined records of the West teams that you played, and then whoever has the best record, that's who gets it, right? So, yeah. uh, so a great example the other day, Illinois with the miracle win at Minnesota. Well, Michigan and Ohio State play Minnesota mm-hmm. this year, and Penn State beat Illinois, so mm-hmm. that that one result could really impact it as well. And if <laughs> I, you know, if I were to end up potentially seven and two that's a huge benefit for Penn State yeah. because the rest of the West there's probably not going to be anyone better than five and four in that scenario so mm-hmm. um, Penn State this is a this is Penn State's chance potentially to actually win the east if they can just win at home against Michigan so really fascinating
0: yeah boy that would be a fascinating game again in Indianapolis uh, based on their yeah in right Rocky Valley you know
1: yeah a part, <laughs> what a parting shot for the Big Ten West that would be to decide the east for them. <laughs> that's the best that is the best no question <laughs> unbelievable well scott we really had fun uh, until yeah. next time i guess i'll see you saturday at kinnick huh
0: yeah yeah and i got uh tomorrow my story coming out is on the magic bus uh, oh wow nice. so i found the magic bus i took pictures of the magic bus and where it's looking and where it's located and did a kind of a retrospective piece on the the wildest uh, tailgate spot in the world. So uh, it, it was fun, a lot of fun to write, and I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of stories shared. Well, after it posts tomorrow morning. <laughs> I bet.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, no wonder you're beat writer of the year. So I'm writing about 2002 Moneyball concepts.
0: Uh, well, anyway. I'm writing about 1997 <laughs> bootlegging charges at a, or 1993 bootlegging charges at a tailgate at Iowa. So, yeah. Uh, and Kirk Ferentz old. is bringing up
1: 1980 coaching at Pitt. So <laughs> we're, we're all, we're all back in the 90s this week. Oh, we're too uh, old for this anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you very much. Until next time, for Scott Docterman, this is Chad Leistico. You've got a chance to make an impact, talk fans. Second half, under the lights at Kinnick against Rutgers. Uh, Have fun this Saturday, and we will talk to you next Thursday at 11 a.m. from the Channel Seed Studios uh, to get you set for Senior Day, Iowa versus Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network.
0: Iowa Everywhere.